This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Cormier will return for one last hurrah. UFC 245, the lone card on the schedule without a main event. Jack the Joker looks to become a middleweight title contender. Kavanaugh likes Edgar as McGregor's next opponent. And Ortega versus Zombie announced as the main event for the final card of 2019. We are joined today by PFL women's lightweight Sarah Kaufman and UFC heavyweight Jorgen DeCastro, who fights next weekend, uh, next weekend rather at UFC 243 against Justin Tapa. Thanks to those listening to the podcast or on TSN Radio in Toronto and Ottawa. Please spread the word to your friends, family, neighbors, baristas, probation officers, whoever you can tell the show about. Uh, get them to subscribe. Uh, a review on iTunes would be greatly appreciated. I know you hear that all the time, but it does matter. We like these kind of things. Myself and Joe are not paired together today, as Joe is traveling for this weekend's wonderful glory event. So Joe is missed here, but, you know, going to hold down the fort. Lots to talk about this particular week, particularly Daniel Cormier on the Ariel Hawani show this past Monday, talking about him returning for one last hurrah in the UFC, the trilogy fight with Stipe Miocic, the last fight he will have in the UFC. He has declared that. He doesn't want to go out in the fashion that he went out. His wife doesn't want him to go out in that fashion. A very, very interesting fight, obviously, for Cormier to come back. You know, with a heavy heart, his father passed away in uh, recent weeks. And uh, he said that it was kind of weighing on him. He doesn't want to make any excuses. You know, Cormier is a class act. The last thing he wants to do is make it seem like, you know, he had something on his mind or to take anything away from his opponent, Stipe Miocic's incredible victory. And, uh, you know, one thing that you do need to look at, though, for that particular fight is that Cormier was winning up until he wasn't, basically. You know, he had won three rounds of that fight on some scorecards. Some gave Miocic the third, but... um, he was having a ton of success with Stipe, and uh, I think that that's hard to overlook. When you look at how he was able to control that fight, how he was having success on the feet, he was doing a great job. And the thing that interests me about this particular fight now is you look at it and... If Cormier wins this fight, knowing it's his last fight, that is going to throw the heavyweight division into, I I wouldn't call it disarray, but into chaos a little bit. Disarray is a more negative term. Chaos, I think, is more interesting because you'll have a vacant championship and you'll have, you know, a few people that will be interested in buying for it. You know, Stipe, obviously, I think would be in the conversation. It would have to be. Anthony Johnson is joining the heavyweight division. Francis Ngannou, obviously, in the mix. But outside of that, there's not a whole lot of great heavyweight challengers right now. You can you can go and take a look at the rankings, look at the heavyweight division. I mean, Curtis Blades, I think, is a, a guy who is definitely in consideration. Unfortunately, his two losses to Francis Ngannou make it a little bit difficult to give him that fight. Junior Dos Santos coming off of a loss, I believe. Um, so what do you do? Is Junior coming off of a loss? I don't want to speak out of turn here. Junior Dos Santos, who was his last fight against? Was it the one against Francis? Yes. So Junior Dos Santos coming off a loss. Just want to make sure I didn't forget a fight of his. I know he's got one coming up with Alexander Volkov. But 
the heavyweight picture right now is very, very unclear in terms of who's going to be the next champion if Cormier does win. I think you'd have to lean Stipe, but Stipe's going to be almost 38 years old by then. Francis has lost to Stipe. Blades has lost to Francis. Francis or Blades and Stipe used to train together, but that wouldn't preclude them from fighting, of course. So that's why I'm interested to see how this plays out. Now, of course, this is all a moot point if Stipe ends up winning the fight, which, you know, he's he won the, the last fight, so you've got to give him some credit. The, the odds are even money, and I think that's where they should be. Because looking at that fight, you know, if, if it were to have gone to the scorecards after the third rounds, undoubtedly Cormier would have won. But that's not how championship fights work. And you've got to credit the chin of Stipe Miocic. It, it held up. He got tagged in that fight several times. And same with Cormier. I mean, Cormier lost basically because of body shots. Uh, the body work did, you know, set up that finish. And I think that looking ahead, it's really anybody's game, anybody's matchup for that particular fight. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Beto Komodo of ESPN r- reported that Stipe Miocic is not going to fight in all likelihood in 2019. So you have to look ahead to 2020. And uh, I think that Cormier would like to have that fight happen sooner rather than later. But because of that, the speculation regarding UFC 245 and having three particular title fights at UFC 245, you got uh, just announced officially was Alexander Volkanovsky versus Max Holloway. You have Amanda Nunes versus Jermaine Durandamay that's been announced. And they were looking at doing a third title fight. Now, I think that trilogy fight would have been in the mix. Cormier said he wanted it on that day if Stipe was up for it. And uh, it doesn't look like Stipe is going to be ready for that particular date. So then what? What are you going to add to this particular card that's going to make it three title fights? Now, here are the candidates, if you will. And there are, there are several of them now. What you would headline with, I don't know. They, they haven't announced the main event, which would lead you to believe they want something bigger than the two that are announced, but that might not obviously come to fruition. It looks like Cejudo wants to sit out till March, so let's rule him out. Flyweight and bantamweight. Lightweight Khabib. Khabib versus Ferguson is... I still think that could potentially happen in December. I don't see what would stop that from happening. So I'm not going to write that one off. Usman versus Covington. It was being discussed for November. No reason why it couldn't happen for December outside of the conversations regarding salaries and contracts and whatnot. But we'll get to that in just a little bit. Whitaker Adesanya are fighting soon, so they're probably out. Now, John Jones is the interesting one here because I just do not see a matchup for John Jones that makes any sense. The only fighter that is not lined up with something would be Anthony Smith. So, And Smith is injured, I believe. I don't think that he's going to fight again this year. He was trying to, and I think he re-aggravated his injury. So he's probably out. Um, Gustafson obviously is retired at the moment, but wants to come back, but you wouldn't make that fight. Cormier is the number one contender, but I think his light heavyweight days are definitely over if that fight against Stipe is his last hurrah, indeed. You've got uh, Dominic Reyes, who is fighting Chris Weidman. A possibility, but that would be a pretty quick turnaround for Dominic Reyes or Weidman. You've got uh, Jacques Array versus Jan Bojovic, which has been scheduled for Sao Paulo in the main event. So I think, I think the turnaround time on that is a little bit uh, tough. 
Tiago Santos injured, probably not fighting again this year. Need time to recover from a, a bad, bad injury. Johnny Walker versus Corey Anderson taking place in November, so you can probably rule that one out as well. So other than John moving up to heavyweight against, say, an Anthony Johnson or a Francis Ngannou, which I don't really think is the ideal opportunity for John Jones to move up. I just don't see I don't see why John would move up without a title shot right off the bat. Why risk it? Unless the UFC is willing to throw big money at him for a Francis fight, which I think would be a huge fight. I just don't see why he would move up. So then you've got the women's divisions. I, I don't know if a, a Zhang Veili fight or a Shevchenko fight would headline that card. I think that you'd probably put those in the undercard. But, uh, you know, for Shevchenko, you've got Calderwood. Chukagian is matched up with Jennifer Maya, so that's probably not going to happen. And, uh, of course, for Zhang Veili, you've got Rose Navajunas. You've got Tatiana Suarez, who still is not back to training yet. Uh, Nina Ansarov, who's coming off a loss, but is, you know, still in that mix. Joanna Janjacek versus Watterson. That's that's happening in just a couple of weeks. So I don't think they're going to pull Janjacek from that fight just to fight Zhang in December. So, I mean, you know, should Janjacek win that fight, a fight with Zhang could happen in December, but I, I don't really think that's what they're going to do. So judging by those options, I think that the uh, best case scenario would, of course, be Tony versus Khabib, but I don't think that they would want to stack the card that much. Like I think you, you want to still maintain and preserve potential matchups for early next year, especially when the magnitude of Khabib versus Ferguson. So I doubt that's going to happen. But you've got to just keep in mind, if they are going to add a third title fight that, you know, you can headline with Covington Usman, I think that that would make a lot of sense, unless they want to hang on to that fight until next year. But let's, uh, let's expand on that particular fight for a moment. And Luke Thomas said something very interesting on his morning podcast, uh, morning combat podcast, rather, with uh, Brian Campbell. And it really stood out to me as a great point by Luke, and he makes a lot of them. So, you know, tune into his work. It's very good. Uh, that morning combat podcast is very, very good. Him, him and Brian Campbell have great chemistry. He said that because Colby Covington has rubbed so many people the wrong way, especially the fans, he has lost a lot of leverage in terms of negotiation. Because if he gets robbed of the title shot, if he doesn't end up getting the title shot, and let's say they give it to Leon Edwards or even Tyron Woodley or something along those lines, or, or Jorge Masvidal should he win in November, even Diaz if he wins in November, you've got to keep in mind that because Covington has rubbed so many people the wrong way, People in his camp, fans, with his shtick, with what he's doing to get the attention that he's gotten so far, it can backfire on him from a financial standpoint. Let me elaborate. The example that Luke gave was, you know, George St. Pierre's in the same situation. Everybody's like, oh, why is the UFC being so cheap? Why aren't they paying this guy? Why aren't they giving him a good contract? Why aren't they giving him his fair share? Now, if Colby had the exact same situation where he wants to get paid to be a title challenger, and they're not paying him well, they're not compensating him, the UFC has more leverage in that situation because the fans are not going to have his back. And this is a company where fan perception matters. It's not the, of the utmost importance, but in terms of the marketability of a fight, if you look at it and you say, what's going to draw more eyeballs, Usman versus Covington or Usman versus Masvidal or Usman versus Diaz or Usman versus even Woodley? 
I think that a lot of you know the people that are inside the UFC and crunching these numbers aren't going to see a um, significant difference. If anything, they're going to see more traffic if you've got a, a Masvidal or a Diaz in the mix. So if you take Covington out of that mix, the the downside, of course, is that people are going to say, well, this isn't the legit meritocracy. But I think we have enough evidence to suggest that already. The UFC often, often preaches best versus best, and for the most part, they do provide best versus best. This is certainly not a knock on, on matchmaking here. But I do think that leverage is important to the UFC, and that in this particular situation where you have to take into consideration leverage, Colby Covington just does not have a lot of it. Usman has more of it, and Usman wants more money, and I can see them paying Usman more money. But I do not think that Covington has enough leverage to play these games. Now, he has hired the Bellinci Group, and they are negotiating, I I would imagine, his next contract. So that's going to be interesting to see what happens there, because this is a, a new player in town. But what have the Bellinger Group done so far in terms of getting these players compensated? They're, they're getting a lot of clients. But what are they doing to actually tangibly put money in people's pockets? They haven't done a whole lot yet in terms of contract negotiation. They've done a good job of acquiring the assets. Now they have to keep those assets happy if you want to keep those assets, period. So with Colby Covington, I'm just not sure that he's playing his cards right here because I don't think he has as much leverage as he thinks he does. And I think that's unfortunate because I do think that he is the rightful next challenger for the title. So let's see how that plays out because there are a lot of different players in the mix at welterweight. That is a division that has a lot of people vying for that title shot and a lot of very, very viable candidates. Now, Colby Covington is the best of those candidates. I think that if you did a poll, even as unpopular as Covington is, if you did a poll saying, who do you think deserves the title shot the most? Covington is unbelievably probably the runaway favorite there. Right? Like I, I would imagine that he would get 80% of the vote, if not more. Especially if you're putting him up against Leon Edwards, Woodley, Diaz, Masvidal winner. I think that Covington would probably get 80% of the vote or more, but I think if you did a poll of which fight would you like to see more, I think the numbers would be a lot closer. They're two different questions, and the UFC is more concerned with the latter than the further. They want to they make the fights that people want to see more, especially if it's, from a financial standpoint, the right move. These things matter in negotiations. So I do hope that fight gets put together. I think Covington versus Usman is an exceptionally interesting matchup. And I think it would be a shame if it doesn't come together because of money. And I, I also don't think that it sets a very good precedent if it doesn't come together because of money. That, that you're, you're taking away from meritocracy because you can't get a deal done. I think on both sides of the coin it's bad. I think it's bad for Covington because he loses a shot and he'll be in the doghouse like he was all year during the time between his win over Rafael Dos Anjos and his bout against Robbie Lawler earlier this year. So these are the kind of things we need to pay attention to because they matter. You know, these, these things are indicative of how the UFC is going to continue to operate. They do set precedents. Let's take a look at, uh, and I, again, kudos to Luke Thomas for making that point, that, that Covington is hindered in his negotiations as a result of just his lack of popularity that he has purposely built. 
Like being that being a heel is uh is not serving him well in this particular instance. UFC is in Copenhagen this weekend. But before we discuss that, let's take a look back at UFC Mexico City. I want to talk about this, uh, the main event controversy, if you want to call it a controversy. You've got Yair Rodriguez, Jeremy Stevens. And speaking of, uh, of becoming a heel, is there anybody less popular right now than Yair Rodriguez? I understand he's fired up. You know, he had a training camp for this fight. And he's saying uh, Stevens is going to have to live with his decision. He's going to have to live with his decision. It, this guy didn't walk out of the cage. Like, he didn't call a timeout during this fight and said, I, I can't, I can't, uh, hang, give me a second here. I, I don't think I want to continue fighting here. He got raked in the eye. Like, that's, that's an injury. And I think that it was a happenstance, that great happenstance and, and fantastic coincidence that Bisping is uh, calling this card. Because if anybody knows about eye injuries and how they can hamper someone's career, it's Bisping. And I also think that Bisping showed a lot of composure when Yair Rodriguez started yelling vulgarities at him in the cage after the fight when Bisping was trying to get his attention. I understand he's fired up, but Bisping handled that very well. First off, Bisping didn't flinch. <laughs> Just, it was like, what are you doing, dude? And he also didn't, you know, he didn't take too much offense to it. He was a professional. And, uh, you know, we heard Yair, uh, sorry, um, Jorge Masvidal, rather, on Ariel show this past Monday talk about how Basically, the way that him and Bisping buried the hatchet was Bisping went up to Jorge Masvidal, you know, of course, after Bisping had retired and they had some beef and just walked up to him and said, how's it going? It was as simple as that. That's, as, that's all that Masvidal needed was, was for him to just be cool. <laughs> that's it. I mean, that's, that just goes to show the kind of person and character that Jorge Masvidal is like. Jorge Masvidal is not the kind of guy that's going to hold on to resentment for the rest of his life. All it takes is just a friendly hello. And, you know, because he knew that Bisping could try to throw him off and, he, you know, he could, he could make a big deal of it and he could, you know, be unprofessional and he could uh, throw off Jorge Masvidal prior to his fight. You know, especially since it was against a fellow English fighter in Darren Till. But no, no it's, all it took was him to say, hey, shake his hand. What's up? How are you? That's it. <laughs> They're cool now. But uh, I digress. Let's go back to Mexico City. Uh, because Bisping handled that very well. Bisping was the right person to have to talk about eye injuries on the uh, the broadcast. And I just thought that the Mexican fans handled this terribly. The, we've seen multiple videos now of the amount of garbage and drinks and beers and stuff that have been thrown on to Jeremy Stevens. In fact, Carla Esparza also came out and said that she had drinks poured on her. So... I think that when you look at how they reacted, it's just out of bounds. I know that you spent a lot of money on these tickets, but this is a sporting event. Like, you've got to know that anything can happen here. And I get, you, I get that you're disappointed, but don't disrespect the athletes. And then I had people commenting on my Twitter. When I said it was a disgrace what the Mexican fans did, I mean, they think that I'm, for, for whatever reason, against Mexican people. Like, they, you know, people are commenting on, on my Twitter feed saying... Hey, oh, 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 well, that the guy in Toronto threw a drink on uh, the outfielder. And I said, that's just as disrespectful, just as disgraceful. doesn't matter what city you're in. doesn't matter if you're from Mexico. It doesn't matter if you're from Kuala Lumpur. doesn't matter if you're from Toronto. doesn't matter if you're from Azerbaijan. 
you do not throw drinks on athletes. You do not throw food at athletes. You do not throw food or drinks at, at patrons that are at the event. You do not throw food or drinks at referees or officials. Just because you pay money to attend an event, that, that doesn't mean it's your event. If I was at a wedding and the speeches were two hours long, am I going to start throwing my drinks at the people that are doing speeches? Am I going to find the wedding planner and pour a drink on her head? No, we're, we're living in a society here. Like This, is, this isn't uh, brain surgery here. You, you Show common decency. I don't care how many drinks you have in you. you would, would you want somebody to do that to you if you're at your job? It just doesn't make any sense. I, I, I do understand, again, that, that people paid good money for this event. But you have to have seen enough UFC cards or MMA cards or live sports events to know that that's why you come to these events. is because anything can happen. That's why I love the UFC. Because a fighter can be winning for 4 minutes and 55 seconds of a fight. Or in the case of... Uh, Ankalaya versus Craig, four minutes and 58 seconds of a fight, and it can go the other way. Sorry, not four minutes and 58, 14 minutes and 58 seconds of a fight, and it can go the other way. Your 15 minutes of fame can be uh, turned into 14 minutes and 59 seconds of fame, and you still get the loss. So you have to take the good with the bad when you're a fan of sports. Like if you're at the World Cup or you're, you're at a soccer event and it goes 0-0 zero, zero, nobody scores a goal and it's like slow-paced and you know, they, they're keeping it in their own zone and they're being conservative. You're going to throw drinks on the, on the, on the players? It's what you, you're getting what you're paying for, which is a sporting event where anything can happen. So to disrespect the fighters, that, especially a guy like Jeremy Stevens, who you know, the story about him was that he spent $30,000 on this camp to come to Mexico nine weeks early, left his family at home to come to Mexico. His coaches had to pay out of pocket to, to do this with him. And he had to pay his coaches to do this with him. For a 15-second fight where he got raked in the eye. For the fans to throw drinks at that man is a, is a disgrace. And I'm not going to walk that back at all. And for Yair Rodriguez to call this guy names and swear at him in Spanish and say that he was looking for a way out and that he's going to have to live with this for the rest of his life. That's also a disgrace. And it's a shame. Because that's not the kind of sportsmanship that we should hope to get in this sport. And you can say the same about a lot of different fighters in the UFC. That, you know, there's, there's a lot of poor sportsmanship. But a lot of the times, when there's poor sportsmanship before a fight... A lot of the times, they'll hug it out afterwards. So, listen, I mean, these guys are probably going to have to run this one back, but and I think it'll have a lot more juice behind it now because there's some real beef. But uh, I do think that there are a lot of people that should be really ashamed of themselves for how they acted for this particular event. That's all. Just be good. Be good to one another. That's all, that's all I ask. Is it that hard? And don't make this into some sort of issue where I'm, where you think that I'm trying to, to, you know, I'm trying to pick on a certain country or something. I'm not, I don't care where it is. I know the tensions are high between America and Mexico, and that, uh, you know, there's 
obviously a lot going on in the, on that front. But I'm not commenting on that. I'm commenting on that particular incident that happened there. And I think that it's a fair comment to say that it was a disgrace. And uh, if you think otherwise, you know, regardless of where the event takes place, th- just just put it in any neutral city, wherever. Put it in Bismarck, North Dakota. That's it. Same thing happens. It's a disgrace. So, yeah, just uh, just don't do that. If you're if you're at an event, don't throw drinks at people or at, or at, especially at the athletes. They're there for your entertainment. They're there to compete. People sacrifice a lot to get to where they have to be to, 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 uh, you know, to do this. And I understand that the tickets cost money. I do. Believe me. I've, I've paid a lot of money for tickets in the past. And if I paid, I've paid money for concerts where I bought tickets to a festival. I wanted to go see the Flaming Lips. They were the headliner of the festival. And by the time they were setting up their stage, if you know how the Flaming Lips live show is, they set up a lot of confetti and fireworks and lights and all kinds of crazy stuff. By the time they were done setting it up, because other bands had spilled over... Their set was 25 minutes. And I paid good money to attend that festival to see that band. Did I throw garbage at the stage? Did I, throw, did I try to find them afterwards and, and confront them? No. Because you know that when you're attending a live event, that everything's up in the air. I went to a concert in Vancouver two weeks ago. I, I was there. You know, the ticket said that it started at 8 p.m. The band got on at 12.05 a.m. And I'm an East Coaster, so that's like 3.05 a.m. on the East Coast. And I had to wake up early for weigh-ins the next day. Did I complain? Did I, go to the, did I pour a drink on the promoter? Or, or on the, did I throw drinks at the stage? You've got to think about these kind of things before you do them. That's all. And being drunk isn't an excuse. Because if, if you're using being drunk as an excuse, then it's disorderly conduct or, that it, or it's public mischief. You're now admitting guilt to that. All right, let's move on beyond that. Let's get past the negativity. Let's, let's, let's cut through the negativity and move forward to some positivity. Korean Zombie versus Brian Ortega announced for the, uh, the last main event of the year in Busan, South Korea. And not, not a whole lot more I can say about that other than it's awesome. That's a great fight. It's a great way to determine who remains in the title mix here at Featherweight. Because if you look at... I mean, it's going to be a year since... Ortega's competed, and I think that's good. Uh, that was a tough fight to watch against Max Holloway. He, had, he acknowledged that it was a tough fight to watch. But uh, Korean Zombie's now number six in the division. You've got Zabit taking on Calvin Cater in Moscow. That fight was moved from Boston. Aldo says he's moving down to 135 pounds. I'll believe it when I see it. Edgar says he's moving down to 135 pounds. So that's number three and four. So now if you bump those guys out, you've got Volkanovski, the obvious number one contender, who's going to be facing Max Holloway. At uh, UFC 245 in Las Vegas. You've got Ortega at number two. If Aldo's out and Edgar's out, then you've got Zabit at number three and Zombie at number four. So for two and four to face each other when you've already got number three faced, uh, matched up with somebody, that makes a lot of sense. And I like that fight a lot. I think that that's a really, really interesting stylistic matchup. I don't even know how to call that one. I think you'd have to... Assume that Ortega's going to be a decent favorite in that fight, maybe minus 175. That would be my guess. But I think that uh, that's a really good one. So there's our positive note. We've got a really fun one lined up. And I think that it's one that I've been talking about for some time. I've been saying that 
you have to headline that South Korea card with a Korean zombie. It makes no sense otherwise. And the logical next matchup for him is Brian Ortega. And Brian Ortega's been calling his name. He's been calling Ortega's name. It's a shame that Ortega has to sit out probably for a little bit longer than he would like. But again, after that last fight with Holloway, I think the more time he sits out, the, the better. It's not really for me to decide. That's just from the outside looking in. Now let's move on to everybody's favorite subject, Conor McGregor. Who doesn't love hearing about Conor McGregor? There's no fatigue there, is there? Eh, maybe a little bit. But John Kavanaugh did an interview with The Mac Life, which is uh, Conor McGregor's website, and said that uh, he thinks that Frankie Edgar would be a good next opponent for, for Conor McGregor. This is a really interesting one for me, because I think it's a very winnable fight for Conor, but I think that if he loses a fight against Frankie Edgar, who was just talking about moving down to 135, and now he's going to move up to 155 and face Conor, is he done? Like, what, what, would, what could possibly be next for Conor McGregor if he loses to a 155-pound fighter who was about to move down to 135 pounds? That is a, a, a very high-risk, low-reward fight. Because even if he beats Frankie Edgar, the expectation is that he's going to beat Frankie Edgar, even though Edgar will be one of the best wrestlers he's faced. Edgar's got great hand speed. Edgar's got a good chin. What is the upside for that for Conor McGregor other than to just get a win? Like, wouldn't you want to have him fight maybe a Cowboy Cerrone or even a Dustin Poirier? Somebody who's ranked at 155? I, I don't get it. That, this is one that I really do not understand. I know that they've had talks over the years about McGregor versus Edgar. And they've been teasing that matchup for some time and what that matchup would mean. And, you know, is this somebody who's going to be able to challenge McGregor because he's a better wrestler and all of this? Great. I get that. Believe me, I do. But I just don't see the upside for Conor McGregor. I really, again, other than getting him a win and putting him, giving him a fight and letting him get out there and do his thing, and to, you also don't have somebody who's going to engage in a ton of trash talk with you and Frankie Edgar. That's another thing you got to keep in mind. So that's the, that's, it's just not a matchup that I, don't, that I think people would like to see. Like, I think if you made a list of people that you'd like to see McGregor, that, you know, people would like to see McGregor fight next, that Edgar might even rank below a Khabib rematch, which seems to not be on a lot of people's priority lists either. So when Kavanaugh mentions this, I'm just curious as to why he thinks this is the matchup that would make sense for Connor's next opponent. There aren't a whole lot of options really right now either. I think Gaethje is out there. That's a possibility. You could do Cerrone, but he's coming off a loss. Edgar, of course, also coming off a loss. Personally, I think Gaethje's the one to make. Because I think that if McGregor wins that fight, you can put him in the title shot fight next, and then suddenly you've got promotional gold. And if Gaethje wins that fight, now you've got somebody who's a very intriguing matchup with Khabib, especially if Gaethje's able to beat him in some sort of definitive fashion. Now you've, you've built another major contender in that division. Those are some interesting matchups, I think, that make a little bit more sense. Even Poirier, I think, I'm not sure how Conor would fare against Poirier from a matchup standpoint at this point in time. Obviously, he beat Poirier, but Poirier has talked about how difficult of a weight cut that was to 145. Conor, too, has difficult weight cuts to 145, so I'm not putting that all on, on Poirier. I think that, obviously, Conor probably had to have a pretty tough weight cut to make that weight as well. But I think that those are the kind of things, those are the kind of matchups that don't make a ton of sense in terms of what Connor would be doing next. So when I saw that, I was very surprised. 
I'd love to hear what you think. Send me a message on Twitter if you think if you think otherwise. If you can convince me as to why Edgar would be a logical next matchup. I also want to talk about the bantamweight division because right now that's up in the air. What what are they going to do there? Because you've got Aljamain Sterling who just went into surgery, so he's out for a while. Faber's negotiating a new deal because he's on a really old UFC contract that they would like to renegotiate, and I think it has ended as well. Edgar and Aldo say they're moving down to 135. I'll believe Aldo when I see it. And Edgar, too. I mean, I, it's hard to say for sure that Edgar's going to make 135. He's getting older. Peter Jan wants to fight towards the end of the year. He's made no secret of that. Cejudo's not, probably not going to fight till. If he's going to fight at flyway first, you're probably not going to see him at bantamweight until midway through next year. Nobody knows what's happening with Dominic Cruz and when he's going to be fighting again. There are just a lot of things up in the air here in this division. There's a lot at play. And the, the crazy thing about it is it's not even going to move very fast. Like, I think a lot of, I think the reason why Sterling had surgery is because, like, why, why, you know, why go into a fight less than 100% when there's not even necessarily a title fight on the line for some time? You, you might need to fight twice. So why, why fight twice before you get to a title rather than fight once? Like, if they're offering you Peter Yan or Edgar or something like that now... Why not just sit it out and wait? That's a smart thing to do from a business standpoint. So I completely agree with what Sterling's doing there. Faber right now, um, he called out uh, Danny Rubenstein, uh, one of the agents uh, that represents different fighters, one of whom is Peter Yan, for saying that Faber turned down a fight with Yan or something along those lines. There's some sort of drama there. But... uh, I don't know about Faber versus Peter Yan. Like, I think it's a good fight for Faber to try to get back into the mix, but uh, it's a tough fight for Faber. It's a very tough fight for Faber. I, I don't know how high of a reward that would be for Yan other than to have kind of a bigger-name opponent and, and up his own profile. I'm not sure what you get from, from having that fight. And then, of course, you've got uh, Edgar Ronaldo. I just have no idea what's going on there. But uh, the rumor was that Edgar versus Aljamain Sterling was going to... Um, be they they tried to make that for the New York card. You got a New Jersey guy versus a New York guy, but the NY uh, sorry New York State Athletic Commission NYASAC would not uh, clear Aljo for that fight. Now Aljo's gone and had surgery, so let's see what happens. Because the bantamweight division is certainly very interesting right now. UFC. Fight night, Hermanson versus Cannoneer is this weekend. And there are a lot of interesting names on this card. Just going back and looking at it, if you if you take a look at some of the de- the debutants on this card, Jack Shore, for example, is one of them that I think is of particular interest. Has had a lot of hype behind him for some time. Um, I think you've got a lot of uh, really good up-and-coming fighters on this card as well that are worth a look. Uh, in terms of Jack Hermanson, I think that this is a, a make-or-break fight for him. I mean, you've got Paulo Costa next in line for that for that title, but uh, Joker Jack is somebody who I think could get a title shot next year if he if he is successful here. He would probably need one more win, but uh, he's a minus two thirty favorite over Cannoneer, and Cannoneer coming off a win over Anderson Silva couldn't be hotter right now. So that's a, that's a great main event. You've got the debut of Mark Madsen. That's one of the, the debuting fighters uh, that I had referenced. You got uh, Jack Shore. And uh, you've got uh, Mahmoud Muradov, 
I, I believe this is his UFC debut, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it is. He's against Alessio Tashiriko, who opened the minus 230 favorite, is now plus 125. So uh, people seem very hot on Muradov. And then in terms of up-and-coming fighters, uh, Khalil Roundtree's hot right now, and his opponent, Jan Kudalaba, is also an, an up-and-comer. Uh, Mikhail Olegzajczyk, one of the guys to watch at 205, has uh, big power in his hands. The co-main event, Gilbert Burns fighting again at 170 against Gunnar Nelson. That's going to be a, a fun one, given the grappling pedigrees of these two individuals. Macy uh, chase on back in action against Lena Landsberg, who's coming off a good win. Giga Chikadze, former glory kickboxer. I would have liked to pick J- uh, Joe's brain on this one, but he's making a short notice debut against Brandon Davis. Uh, Chikadze had lost at the Contender Series, I think, last year, but is now getting an opportunity. Maybe it was this year, actually. But he's now getting an opportunity in the UFC against uh, Brandon Davis. Quick turnaround from his last fight against Hyung Ho Kong. So uh, a lot to like about this card. Alex Oliveira against Nicholas Dalby, uh, lest I forget. That's another really fun one in the uh, welterweight division. This is just a fight. This is a card where there there are not a lot of fights that are not worth watching on this. Like every every fight, even uh, Diakazi versus Venata, I didn't mention. Like this is a really really strong card in terms of fighters that aren't really ranked that are moving their way up. I like this card a lot, and I think uh, that if you do have fight pass in Canada, it's definitely worth a, worth a, a watch. Take take time out of your schedule and watch this one. You'll learn a lot because there are a lot of fighters that I think, especially on the European circuit, that uh, are going to make some noise on this card. Uh, finally, Rashad Evans gets his release from the UFC. Uh, wants to continue competing. He says he's feeling good in the gym. Uh, he doesn't want to continue in the UFC. I would expect Bellator or the PFL would be very interested in bringing Rashad Evans in. And uh, I don't really know what to think about it, but I do know that Bellator makes a lot of sense. You have a lot of these older fighters. I think that Evans can be matched up in a favorable fashion against some of these fighters. You know, it's more guys that are on the same level that he's at right now. So I'm interested to see what's next for him. I want to see one more fight. I don't think we need to. I think that, you know, I'd be very happy seeing him retire. He's now a UFC Hall of Famer. But I think that getting his release and wanting to continue fighting is, uh, he'll, he'll make some good money. I think that's obviously important. But I'd like to see him fight guys that are kind of at the same stage as he is in their careers. I think that would make a lot of sense. Let's get to our first guest. She is in the PFL Women's Lightweight Tournament against Larissa Pacheco, October the 11th, in the semifinals, en route to try to win $1 million, Dr. Evil Pinky. And she is training at Zuma MMA in Victoria, BC, Canada. Sarah Kaufman joins us now on the TSN MMA Show. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to introduce this week's guest. We're now joined by Sarah Kaufman, getting a little bit closer to a million dollars. Is that nerve-wracking, Sarah? Uh, exciting. Not really nerve-wracking. It's, uh, yeah, I just can't wait for it to, to be here already. I know you've been using the hashtag millionaire by 2020. And I guess that would be fitting. I mean, you're two wins away from getting that amount of money. So that's, it's pretty cool to see the end of the rainbow, I'd imagine. It's nice that it's getting closer. It's been a fun season. It's been a long season, um, but also kind of short at the same time. But it's, uh, yeah, it's just I'm really excited to have the opportunity to, you know, fight in October and then right away again in December, um, try and get two big wins and uh, walk away with a, a big, big check. 
Absolutely. Well, Kayla Harrison is the name that everybody says they built this tournament around, 155-pound women's lightweight tournament. Um, She's fighting Jenna Fabian next. Do you want to be the one who beats Kayla? Is that part of the prize for you, or would you be happy for Jenna if she got the win and and you'd be facing her in the finals? I don't care. Uh, If Jenna beats Kayla, good for her. Um, I do think that in terms of the hype and the exposure and uh, what comes with it, I do think that the the Kayla fight is, uh, you know, a a bigger talking point throughout the season uh, that would lead up to that. But uh, I mean, it would really throw a wrench in like PFL's ideal uh, ideal matchups. And so, you know, I have to win. Kayla has to win um, in in order for that to happen. But if Jenner were to win, uh, that'd be awesome for her. And then I could beat her. So I I don't really care. I just, as I say, have been focused on my path, which is, you know, finding a way to get to the million-dollar fight, win that million-dollar fight. Uh, and if it's Kayla in the finals, that would definitely make the PFL happy. It would make the fans happy. Um, but it doesn't matter to me. And the next stop on that journey is Larissa Pacheco. That's October 11th. Um, what do you know about Larissa? She's a UFC vet like yourself. Um, but from watching her in the past, she does tend to slow down as the fight goes on. Is that something you've got in the back of your head? I wouldn't actually really say that she slows down as the fight goes on. I think she's very calculated. I think she's very consistent. Uh, I, I don't think that she actually uh, breaks. I think that she is able to, maybe just because she's been in the sport a long time, but, you know, even in the, the fight where she had Kayla in the, the very first one, um, you know, she was dominated for most of the fight, but stayed, I thought, consistent throughout. Um, while she got tired, it was still the similar output of energy. And, and I don't expect anything less. And with uh, the thought of a million dollars in the line, I'm sure we're all going to be fighting yeah, even harder than we have before. And, and so that's what I anticipate. One thing that uh, Kayla, Kayla Harrison did say about you recently is that you're bad at trash talk. Now, do you take, do you take offense to this? I thought it was so funny. Because uh, I actually don't think that I have trash talk at all. Uh, that's really not my thing. I, I don't like people who trash talk. I honestly have just uh, found humor and hilarity and pointed out things that have already happened. Uh, so I've more just talked about the truth uh, than talking trash, if you will. Um, I've just been having a good time with it because I think it's easy to, to, to get a little bit of a rise. But, um, you know, just the fans have been enjoying it. PFL has been enjoying it. And it's just kind of fun. I feel like she's insulted by the very notion of the fact that she can lose. That's the part about it that, that's weird to me. Do, do you get that as well? Is that the sense you're getting? You know, I don't really know what sense I'm getting. I, I think that uh, Kayla has a lot going on in her own head. Um, and whether that's a positive thing for her fighting or a negative thing for her fighting, I guess we'll, we'll find out as she gets tested uh, in the semifinals and then potentially in the finals. But, um, you know, I, I see that she has a lot going on. And it's come across a little bit scattered, um, you know, when she's talking about it or, or how she's portraying herself. I, I just don't think that she's used to this because she hasn't done this before, you know. Uh, while, you know, two gold medals is a huge accomplishment for judo and for the Olympics, um, I, I don't know what kind of media and what kind of attention she had after that. Um, and just MMA media is very different, uh, and the MMA fans are very different than traditional judo fans so um i just i just don't think she knows how to handle it or has figured out her way how to handle it and, and kind of be gracious and um and just accepting of like 
who cares what people say because people are going to say good things, bad things, um, stupid things. Like it's just kind of part of the sport and being in it for a long time. I'm finally getting to that point where I'm, I don't really care if people have negative things to say about me and it's nice when people say positive things, but uh, I'm doing what I'm doing in the sport for myself and for my team and uh, because I love doing it. And uh, I don't know if she's at that point um, or if she's more in it to, to get notoriety. Tristan Connolly, he's a Vancouver, uh, sorry, Victoria native. You trained in Zuba at Zuma in Victoria. What did you think of his win a couple weeks back against uh, Michelle Pereira? That was uh, that was pretty crazy stuff. It was awesome for him. I mean, it was definitely surprising because, uh, you know, on paper you look at the two of them, and I wouldn't say that Tristan is a technical wizard. Um, at most of his fights, he he kind of wins or he grinds out or he his durability is one of his his strong suits for sure. Um, like, you know, his striking's not super sophisticated. His ground game is pretty good. Um, but on paper, you know, you're going up against uh, a very large 170 in uh, in Pereira there. And, uh, of course, super athletic and has had all these crazy moments in fights where he's doing unorthodox flipping and twisting and turning and jumping. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was surprising. I, I thought that he'd probably get finished in the first round. Um, but he didn't. And he actually won that round. And then Pereira gassed himself out and then literally just couldn't function. Uh, so it was awesome to see uh, Tristan, you know, kind of step up to a fight that I'm sure a lot of people wouldn't have wanted to take, go up a weight class, step in, uh, and, and then get the win. And, and it, I didn't think it was questionable. I thought he won the first round. I thought he lost the second. He kind of just got pinned down, uh, and then he dominated the third. So, um, you know, it, it was just nice to see uh, what could have been a, a pretty hard fight for him turn into this uh this big moment, and then he got the double bonus because his, his opponent missed weight, and uh, yeah, I mean, uh, hundred grand in your pocket for uh, something you didn't know that was coming up six days from now is pretty great. Yeah, I don't know how well you know him, but having spoken to him at that event the day before at weigh-ins, he walked me through note by note exactly what he was going to be doing, and he did just that, like he he did it to a T, and it worked perfectly for him. And you would never have guessed that he was a big underdog going into that fight. He just he just knew what was going to happen. Yeah, I mean, that actually was like the perfect game plan for him, given how Pereira fought was, I mean, that would be the game plan. Try and stay away from the craziness. Try and wait for him to get tired. Uh, look to take him down and then hold him down on top and make him tired, especially with a hard weight cut. Like, that would be the plan that I would go for. Uh, don't get smashed by one of the flips and then make him tired and hold him down. Uh, and he did just that. So have you devised a similar game plan for Kayla Harrison, or is that something you're not going to share publicly, I'd imagine? Well, I'm fighting Larissa next, so I don't care about Kayla at all right now, honestly. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm not going to devise a game plan for someone that I'm not fighting um, uh, until I'm I'm through the person that I am fighting, and and then the other person wins the fight because uh, it's just wasted energy at this point. uh, If she doesn't win or if I don't win, um, yeah, so I'm just focused on Larissa right now, honestly. So how about Larissa then? What, what's what's your best path to victory against her? Yeah, do whatever I need to do to win, honestly. Um, you know, again, the idea of the season is try and get through the fight, take the least amount of damage possible, uh, and make it to the finals as healthy as you can. Uh, you know, there's always going to be things that come up because it's it's training, it's fighting, it's, 
you know, a long season on the body, but, um, yeah, just feel good, go in there and, and, and make it happen. And being the smaller fighter, I think the whole season has been focused on, you know, speed, strength, conditioning, uh, and, and those factors are definitely going to get me to win. And one thing I wanted to touch on that's on a sad note is, uh, your, your student Danny who passed away. I, I read, yeah. on, I read on Instagram that, uh, he was involved in an, an unfortunate accident where somebody's being investigated for, uh, potentially um, dangerous driving. And uh, just, just reading about him as a father of three myself, it was very, very difficult to, to read how much, you know, how much he meant to you and how much he meant to the community and, and to your gym. So uh, condolences on him. And if there's anything about him you'd, you'd like to share with us, I'd, I'd love to hear it because he sounds like a really great kid. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you. It's been, uh, it, it was a, a really hard week between the last kind of uh, eight days here when we found out. But, um, yeah, Danny Schubach was amazing. He really was... An, uh, a really cool human being. Uh, he had a, we had a service on on Monday, and I was able to to be both at his burial and, and hear some of the stories from some of his friends and from his close friends and family and the people around him. And then, uh, you know, on top of that, you know, the service I would say probably had 500 people or more at it. Um, and it was just, you know, he was a competitive water polo water polo player. He's been doing jujitsu and, and wrestling since. He was six um, when he started with me, so for 13 years, um, he was into music. He was into musicals. He had a band. He he literally did everything and just had so much joy in life. And um, I think really, uh, from the sounds of it, you know, was very vocal even with his friends. Like what 19 year old boy tells their friends how much you know he cares for them and how much they mean to him. And it's just pretty cool that. That, that he was able to do that and that all of his friends uh, and, and close family and teammates, that everyone felt that from him as well. So, uh, you know, it's definitely, you know, I, I learned a lot from him. And even in his death, I've learned a lot um, maybe about how I want to, how I want to be towards others as well, even more so than I already am. And um, yeah, I'm just, I'm looking forward to, to getting the win and, and uh, we're going to start a, you know, a scholarship program for kids at Zuma in his name. So every year, um, you know, anyone can donate to it, but we'd like to have a fund that we can uh, help as many kids as possible get involved in martial arts to help change their lives as much as it did for Danny. So uh, it's just something, you know, there's a lot of cool things that have come out of the tragedy. And, um, yeah, it's, it's as I say, been an emotionally hard week, but um, it's also you know, be, being good to have training to focus on and, and have that push and, and have that extra kind of emotion to go with uh, with the hard work. All right. Well, please do treat, uh, tweet out a link to uh, that that uh, scholarship when it is uh, public and, and made available with the details. We'd be happy to share it as well. Um, thanks for sharing that story Thank with us, so Sarah. Much. All right. Uh, thanks, thanks, Sarah. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate uh, you sharing that story with us. And uh, best of luck uh, on October 11th. Thanks so much, Aaron. That was Sarah Kaufman, who will be facing Larissa Pacheco, former UFC fighter and ultimate fighter competitor after her uh, UFC tenure on October 11th in Las Vegas for the PFL. It's the women's lightweight tournament. You also have Jenna Fabian against Kayla Harrison, and the two winners of those fights will continue and compete for a million dollars on December the 31st, New Year's Eve in New York. New York. UFC 243 is uh, 
on October the 6th, not this weekend, but the weekend after. Massive card at a stadium, Whitaker versus Adesanya. They they got to put these guys in a bubble wrap before this card starts because if, if this if this main event car this main event falls out in some capacity, hui. There's not even another middleweight fight on this card. What are you going to do, Luke Jumo versus uh, Israel Adesanya in the main event? I don't understand how you can construct the card this way when you have a stadium at play, knowing that Whitaker has had to had two of his his last two fights fall out. That's just. Ugh. That's that's risky. That is risky. And I hope it comes together. I want to see this fight. This is a great fight in the middleweight division. Adesanya Whitaker. But on that particular card, you've got the debut of Jorgen DeCastro, who uh, won on the Dana White Contender Series against Alton Meeks, who was a big favorite. DeCastro, a big underdog, gets it done. And he's going to be facing Justin Taffa, whose uh, brother, Junior Taffa, is actually a glory heavyweight as well. He's going to be in Taffa's backyard, and uh, he joins us now on the TSN MMA show. It is Jorgen DeCastro. All right, I'm pleased to be joined now by the first native of Cape Verde to be signed to a UFC contract. It's Jorgen DeCastro. Jorgen, how are you today? Very good, sir. Very good. Good, good. Well, it's good to hear your voice. Um, I'm curious, what's Cape Verde like? I've never, uh, I've never uh, been there or heard much about it, and I, I know that it's a, kind of a smaller population. About 580,000 people live there, yeah. but I'd love to know more. Yeah, small country, nine islands. We we surrounded by 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 water, so like really small country. Nothing much like it. Nice place for vacation, but that's it. All right. Well, I'll, I'll let my wife know. We'll write that one down as a future destination. <laughs> <laughs> um, the good weather, so you probably love it. The weather is good all all year round, ninety degrees. Simple well, people, very humble people down there. You don't uh, spend nothing. All right. Well, it sounds sounds like a nice place. Um, so you found out about being on the Contender Series last year or uh, earlier this year, but it was on April first. I, I yeah. read that you found out about. It. So you thought it was a joke. I thought it was a joke. I did thought it was a joke. It's four and all, uh, maybe too early to get the Contender Series. Uh, I, yeah, I thought it was a joke. And then I called my manager right away, uh, April second. I say, "Are we still in Contender Series?" That that was right. He FaceTimed me to confirm with me, so I can <laughs> I can I can get away. Well, that's that's good to hear. I mean, uh, obviously, you 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 get there, you fight a guy, Austin Meeks. He's three and zero at the time, um, and a very very skilled wrestler, a guy that was uh, vying for an Olympic spot. Uh, and and you yeah. came up with a great strategy to defeat him. But uh, when you when you heard he was your opponent, did you have concerns about your wrestling at all? Uh, yes, because uh, actually we're supposed to fight a different guy, which was even better. Was um, I forget about it. Jim James Lasser. I think he's ten with Daniel Cormier. Like a elite wrestling for New Jersey too. So we, since we heard that, I say, well, I guess we're gonna be fighting wrestling. So might as well get my wrestling together, and and we start to to bring some wrestling guys from Brown University and and different all 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 over. The, Massachusetts got some good wrestlers too. So we start to wrestle, wrestle, wrestle. All my camp, twelve weeks was was about get it up and and. and Defense takedowns. Defense takedowns uh, on the cage. Defense takedowns in the middle of the cage was all the strategies. was about takedown defense. Now, you were a big underdog in this fight. You were about a 6-1 to one underdog. Did you, do you know anybody who bet on you that called you afterwards with a nice thank you? No, man. We, all my friends say they didn't find out till the, till the, the time of the fight. I didn't <laughs> even know. <laughs> Had you known, though, you would have told them, you know, put some money down. 
Yeah, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you're fighting uh, Justin Taffa. That fight's uh, at UFC 243 in Australia. You're going to uh, the, his home turf. Um, he's more of a stand-up-based fighter, though. Is that is that more comfortable for you? Yes, I love I love the fight. This is the if you're gonna do UFC debut, you you want to fight this guy just like Justin Taffa. I know he's gonna come hard. He's gonna come. So he throw bombs. He's fast. He got good standing. And he's on his home country, so he don't want to disappoint it. He's gonna want to do. He gonna want to put on show. And I'm gonna do the same thing. I mean, I have nothing to lose. I'm gonna go there and, and swing to the fence. But uh, I love this. This is so perfect. I think we're gonna do a striking match, and, and I think I can get it done. I've got to ask you: Are you at work right now? I'm hearing a lot of typing and, and things in the background. Do you work at a newspaper? Yeah, I, I work in the Delphi High School. Yeah, what did you heard? It? You wonder what? <laughs> it just sounds like hold typing. On, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> Now it's better. <laughs> yeah, it's better. But I just, I, I just, I was wondering what's going on. So you're, you're out of high school right now. You're teaching. Yeah, I, I know. I'm secured here. I'm taking care of the kids. Like, slap the kids around here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I think they look at you. They probably know not to get out of line. Yeah, they don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw a video on your on your Twitter page. You let somebody hit you in the cup with a sledgehammer. How yeah. nerve wracking is that when the guy's going to swing that thing? No, and they do is big. Big Bellator fighter, two ninety. Like we we got a test, so they they sent me that cup yesterday, like two days ago. They said, "Can you do a nice video test that cup?" I said, "Well, I got a few ideas. Let's let's see if this works." Wow. I, I used to, I used to regret when I asked him. Yeah, that doesn't sound that. I I would have thought of some better ideas than than hit it with a sledgehammer. Maybe something softer. <laughs> Maybe like throw a, throw a baseball or you know something like that. That's that's pretty intense. I, I'm, did you did you test it out at least before you took the video, or was that the first yeah, time you ever tried yeah. it? Yes, we did a couple of times. We did two, three times, like slowly. And say, well, let's do it slowly. <laughs> well, that's nerve wracking. Yeah, yeah I, I'm I'm surprised you were able to do that. That's that would freak uh, freak most people right out. That was very dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, we have fun. I mean, we train, we have fun. There. You had mentioned it's a dream for you for the UFC to have an event in Africa. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Khabib, after he had, he won his fight with Dustin Poirier, said he would love to fight in Africa with GSP, do a big event, and have all the proceeds go to charity for uh, you know one of the uh, the cities um, in Africa that that need uh, clean water. Um, did you hear that idea? And if so, what do you think of that? I didn't hear it, but that's amazing. I mean, there's so, there's so much we can do to help others. And especially, I'm not saying just me. I mean, I'm probably not the guy to help that much. But someone like Khabib, someone like Poirier, someone guys, they make like that much money. And, and they can share, they can help someone. Because I know what it is in Africa. Khabib is like a part of Africa, too. There's a place that like people have nothing to eat, nothing to drink. And, and if we can do an event and, and help others, I'm all about it. I'm actually all about it. I love that. That's a great idea. That's what that's what it's sport about. Help others. Yeah. You grew up under pretty uh, difficult circumstances in Cape Verde. T- tell me about that and and how you eventually got to America. Yes, yes, pretty pretty rough. I, I grew up just with my my mother with a two sisters. So my mother was like, "We are moving city to city because we have no place to. We have no money to pay rent. We'll be like a couple of weeks living in a, in a town, then we move to different towns, and and my wife, my mom, my mom will let us in home, no food, and work all day, come back, and then sometimes we gotta eat once a, a day. And uh, but the thing is, because my father was Portuguese, and he left us, so I grew up without just with my mother. I had the my all my paperwork is Portuguese, so I end up I end up had the chance to leave Cape Verde when I was 18 to to 
chase a better life. So that's that's our move to Portugal. That's what I started. That's what I started everything. That's what I started kickboxing. And then someone told you you should start doing MMA. That's where yeah. what was next for you. That's what my uncle said. My uncle said the kickbox you don't go nowhere. The kickbox is is you're making no money. You're I mean you're very talented. But you gotta bring your your talent to MMA. So I moved down here in 2012. That's where everything started. I started doing jiu-jitsu, wrestling, and, and incorporating my, my kickboxing in MMA. And there's a lot of fighters right now coming out of Boston that are starting to come up. You know, Boston used to be a really um, big area for MMA, and then it had a couple of years where it was a little bit down, and now it's coming right back up. You've got guys like Calvin Cater. There's a big event coming up in Boston soon. Uh, tell me about, you know, which of your training partners you're working with a lot and, uh, and what kind of upside they have. We we do get all together. We, I, I work with different guys in my daily base, but Saturday morning we all get together and lose MMA and all like all Calvin, Rob, Greg, Mike Rodriguez, Randy Costa, Joe Luzon, like like full of full of killers, like guys from Glory, Ross Levine, and guys from Lion Fight. So all over. But I do my main gym is Regiment in Fall River. But Saturday we normally all get together and lose and, and and share like it's good good section. We do a hard section then. Always, they, they always share the, the knowledge and the experience in the UFC to help the youngest guys, the guys who are coming up. So that's great. Well, Jorgen, it was great speaking with you. Uh, and um, we're looking forward to seeing you fight uh, Justin Taffa, UFC 243. Um, and it was obviously great seeing you win that debut on the Dana White Contender Series. Uh, again, as a big underdog, you really impressed everybody. And we look forward to seeing more success for you in the UFC. Thank you very much, sir. And, and, and don't blink. This is going to be a good, good fight. I hope this is good. I, I'm going to bring it. It's going to be a good one. That was Jorgen DeCastro joining us on the TSN MMA show. So I uh, know Joe this week. So uh, I, I guess I can give you my own pick if uh, Joe, since Joe is not here for uh, this card in Denmark. There's not a ton that I love on this particular card. Just looking at it from top to bottom. But uh, I think that if you can get it at around close to even money, I'd imagine, a parlay of Macy Chasson and uh, Mikhail Oleksiejczyk pays minus 125. I think that's probably your, your best bet on this card. If you can get those two, put them together, uh, that's worth a look. Oleksiejczyk inside the distance is minus 155. I'm not sure how much value there is on that, but if he does win the fight, I'd imagine that's how he does it. So uh, that's what I would do. I'd put those two in a parlay. Macy Chason uh, looks like a really big rising star in that division. So there you have it. This is another episode of the TSN MMA Show. Join us next week. I think Joe will be back with us, and we will be previewing UFC 243, Whitaker versus Adesanya. Looking forward to discussing that one with Joe. We'll be back then. Until then, enjoy the fights. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.